And luckily, it didn't take too many times messing up, but I messed up. It's, it's no lie about that, and I still mess up because right now, I'm always I'm still trying to even keep it simplistic, trying to keep the mechanical part out of it. I want it to be hand tools, and uh, so sometimes uh, they may not be exactly perfect, but art isn't supposed to be perfect. I've never known anyone with a dragon. What does he look like? Just a plain, ordinary dragon. How plain, how ordinary. Hey everybody, welcome back to Plain Ordinary Dragon, the podcast. I appreciate you being here. First, let me just say thank you so much for spending your time with us. You know, time, you've heard me say it before, time is the most valuable resource that we have. And the fact that you would be willing to share a little bit of it with us today is very humbling. And I just want to say thank you. I'm excited today because we get to talk with Homer Keys. Homer and I have known each other for a long time. We've been friends uh, for quite some time. And he's he's just a really great guy. And I, I really appreciate him as a person, as an artist, uh, as a friend. And we're going to find some of the things that he's done along his journey. Uh, he's worked for home homeland security he's been a, a copier tech he's played lead guitar in a number of bands he's written music uh, he's he's done a number of different things he's gone through some challenging times and he's come out the other side a better person and um I'm just really excited to to kind of share him with you. Uh, I hope you enjoy this. And uh, he's he's recently launched a new company called Firebird Guitar Straps, and he'll he'll tell us a little bit about that as we get in there. But I'm really excited. Uh, you can find it on Instagram. You you can find uh, Fire Firebird Guitar Straps on Instagram. We'll have the exact uh, information in the show notes if you, you want to go there. So you can look him up on Instagram. You can see uh, what he's doing, which is really neat. Uh, plus he'll he always, he always poses his guitar straps with uh, some reverend guitars. So if you want to see some really awesome guitars, uh, you should check that out as well. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. This is Homer Keys. All right. So we're here with uh, Homer Keys. That's me. Uh, and Homer and I have known each other for a while now. Yes. Uh, at least half our lives, <laughs> nearly. At least. So did we meet at the co-op? Was the co-op where we met? Um, let me think. Uh, quite possibly or... Uh, some kind of run in with with a uh, Ben yeah. Ben White Ben or Donnie one of the yeah, two musically yeah musically connected for sure uh, oh that's right I remember now I think I was introduced because Donnie said hey I'm working with this guy who writes his own songs come check it out that's what oh it was when Mike Mike and, yeah. that's mm-hmm. right it was okay that's uh, <laughs> that's interesting we, we actually talked a little bit about that uh, yesterday with Donnie and, and, uh, and whatnot so. Uh, that was that was a while ago. It was at least twenty years ago. Yes, um, I had hair then. <laughs> you did. I did have. You hair. You had then. hair longer than mine, <laughs> uh, which is kind of saying something. So, uh, so um, today, uh, Homer uh, does a lot of uh, interesting things for sure, um, and Firebird straps, uh, guitar straps, mm-hmm. is what he's he's currently working on. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But I kind of want to start more towards the beginning, uh, at where. Uh, Homer started. And so originally, where are you from, man? I am originally from, born in Merced, California. Really? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did, did you grow up there? Did you? No, uh, I was born in 1973, 
my mother and biological father uh, had a little place in Merced, California, Modesto area. My biological father was a musician, artist type guy. He passed away when I was around two and a half, and my mother was pregnant with my little brother still. We floated around for a little bit, and then my mother, uh, oddly enough, ended up marrying his little brother, my biological father's brother. And then uh, we ended up moving to uh, Newton County, Arkansas, in about 1977. And so, uh, so then you moved to Newton County, Arkansas. Yes. That, that uh, probably not much of a culture shock for as old as you were. At the no, time, no, right? it was uh, it was home. It was all I knew. You know, my earliest memories are being out in the middle of the woods, the Newton County woods on the Buffalo River. You know. So you went to school uh, with um, in. Western Grove, is that yes. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How how was your high school experience? Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Later on in life, I ended up working for the school district, so I got to see what other big schools, how the the society was, and those bigger schools. Uh, when uh, when Donnie and I were going to Western Grove, I believe there was only when we graduated, there was only about 112 people in the entire school, K through 12. Really? So everybody knew each other, and we were all just, uh, and this is going to sound corny, but we were all K through 12, just for the majority, a pretty big family. Everybody knew each other's names. We all knew what was going on. It was good. It was a good time for me, you know, and I wouldn't trade it for anything else because I've seen some other nightmares in bigger schools where there's three or 4,000 kids mm-hmm. or more and stuff. So I would, it, was a, it, was an, it was a good time. It's interesting, you know, uh, you know, because I went to a small school in rural Arkansas as well. You know, as you're growing up, I think a lot of times we we're like, well, you we can't wait to get out. You know, you know this this podunk existence. It's you know, it's one of those things, and I think that's true for a lot of kids growing up. That's kind of the feeling they have. And then you get older, and you have a little bit more perspective, and you kind of look back on it, and you're like, yeah, it wasn't, you know, maybe the best it could have been, but I I wouldn't trade it because you know, I. I really hold that time as special and I, and it, it was kind of a special thing. And so I think there's always kind of a, a nostalgic sort of feeling for, uh, that kind of stuff. So, Oh yeah, it's, it's weird. It gets, it's, you know, our school was so small, even the school itself had a personality, you know, it was, it was like the other student or students in the background, you know, you, it was, it became a part of you. It was such a small and, a, and an older, older building too, I believe, that it was one of the first uh, women's Victorian schools of the time for this area in Arkansas. So it had a lot of character and soul, too. So whenever, at least for me, you know, I'm kind of weird like this, is that whenever I graduated, I kind of said goodbye to the school as well because it was just as much a part of me as the kids that I grew up with. Sure, sure. Now, uh, now you wrestled in high school, is that right? Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, did you struggle with weight issues at one oh, point? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, was that in high school or was that after high um, school? Just as I was getting into high school, I'd always had trouble. I was a small child growing up, but when I got into the, around the eighth grade, I started ballooning up and then I couldn't get it off. I had no association with a man except for that he liked me in passing, gave me trouble about my hair all the time because it was super long. His name was Jim Strain. He did talk to my mother you know, several times about getting me into his program and he could help with my self-confidence. You know, I was pretty shy, super shy. still am today, but a lot better than I used to be. But uh, he got me in and he had me see how fast I could run a mile. Uh, A younger, one of the other wrestlers ran with me. He rode a bicycle while I was running. And uh, 
I think it took about four hours to run a mile. And I was, I was, gosh, I was probably five, six and about pushing about 180, 190, you know, being, being that young. And it, it took me all day pretty much, but I finally got there. And then, uh, I had with the weight, I had knee issues. So it hurt to get on my knees with wrestling. You got to get on your knees a lot and, and move around. So he kind of had to talk with me and said, well, maybe this isn't the best thing for you if you, if you don't want it, you know, you don't have to do this. So I, I quit for the first year during that summer. And the next summer I decided that I was going to make a change. And I started running, started eating better. And, and then I hit my growth spurt, you know, and almost hit six foot, you know, by my, uh, the time I went back and had lost nearly half my weight to where everybody was freaking out thinking, is this kid okay? You (laughs) know, what's wrong with him? (laughs) You know, I had a counselor come up, say, is everything okay at home? Are they feeding you and everything? But it went on on from there and had an amazing relationship with the uh, the wrestling team. And we were all brothers and we all worked really hard. And uh, we set a lot of records for such a small school in Northern Arkansas. We had more state champions come out of our little tiny school than anywhere else in Arkansas. Really? Yes. Well, so what did you do when you got out of high school? Um, I floated around quite a bit. I uh, A lot of people don't know. I struggled, with, even though I love reading. My mother was huge into reading and was always having us read. I have slight dyslexia, so I struggle. But I love to read, and that's that's my curse. So I struggled in uh, whenever I was trying to go to college. I struggled. Uh, eventually dropped out. You know, Gabe, I walked away from uh, playing baseball as well. That was another passion I was really good at was a baseball. But uh, went on and did a variety of different things from uh, construction work, uh, working in restaurants, um, eventually landing a job, magically somehow getting involved with Homeland Security, working several years at federal buildings and Social Security offices. For oh, some, yeah, I remember some, that. I remember yeah, that, for yeah. some time and really enjoyed that. Um and then for some reason, uh, I jumped ship from that. Uh, our friend Donnie, you know, got me into, he knew I was always good at troubleshooting, got me into the uh, fixing copiers thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and so for, for everyone out there that's, that may be listening and have listened to the podcast with Donnie Lee, um, as you can tell, there's a, a lot of interchange between uh, the, the people that we're talking to um, uh, because... I worked at the co-op. Um, Donnie actually told the story about um, about how he got to the co-op, which was you know me trying to get him off the road because you you were work, you <laughs> yeah. worked with him too. Yeah, on, we were uh, working on the road. Yes. Yeah. So for, for all of you that, that heard Donnie's Lee talking about the elevator shafts and so forth, Homer was part of that crew at one point too. So there are some interesting similarities around all of all of us in, in that small mm-hmm. in that small town. Yeah. So Donnie told the story about how I had gone to him and said, "Hey, how would you like to get a job?" You know, with you know, me, the whole, the whole thing, like, I mean, granted, I wanted Donnie to be around, yes. but I, you know, if you remember, we had been in a band previously yes. mm-hmm. and had to break that up so that he could go do the, the elevator thing. So then I was like, well, if I can get him to come back, maybe we can get a band back together. That was my whole motivation. <laughs> right. And so then he comes back to the co-op and we never get to play music again. But, uh, nonetheless, that was the whole, that was how that, all, how all those dominoes fell. Ironically enough, I, you know, if Donnie and I hadn't been in a band, I'm not sure that, that I would have gone down that route to find him uh to go to the co-op which you know and then he hired you so it's an interesting domino yeah drug it drug me into that that world which was great i was i believe i was there for 11 years wow yes uh started off they 
threw a copier in front of me. I had no clue how it worked, but I was always been good with uh, my hands and figuring out problems, troubleshooting. They handed me a screwdriver. Nathan Klein <laughs> handed me a screwdriver and goes, fix it. No manual. He goes, figure out what's wrong with it. And that's that was my start. Right really? There. Yes. Man, he just threw you the wolves, yeah, oh, didn't he? Did. he? He's he like, did. here, here, we're just going to here yes. step into this fire. It was a great thing. You know, I was always good at troubleshooting, but when they did that, it took me to the next level. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a good uh, good experience. Uh, stayed there forever. Uh, some of the stuff happened in my life where I uh, decided to move on um, three or four years ago, moving to Fayetteville. And uh, wasn't going to get back into the, the copy world. I was going to focus back on music. And then my uh, my fiance's job fell through that we'd planned. She was going to work while I focused on music again. So I jumped back into the copier world for a, a, a corporate company. And and I'm still there right now. And uh, But I'm still looking to get out of that and get back into the music, the whole recording studio thing. And uh, go from there. Um, so you, you mentioned... Uh, your fiance now, mm-hmm. and we don't have to talk about this if, if you're not comfortable with it, but, um, but you'd been married previous. Yes. That, mm-hmm. Obviously that ended. Can, can you tell me a little bit about, uh, about that, that process, um, you know, and how that affected you and so forth? Because the thing is, is that, you know, that was a pretty devastating time for you. Yes. Uh, it, you know, at, at the end anyway. Yes. So if, if you could talk about that a little bit, I would love to, to kind of hear. I probably won't mention her name, but uh, we had been married almost 20 years um and things kind of fell apart um there toward the end and uh some of it was me uh, a lot of it was her but i was willing to work out things and it just didn't work out we'd uh you know and by that time toward the end of it i was in such a dark place i struggled with depression quite a bit and other things you know and it was at that time which i'm thankful i don't anymore i was heavily drinking playing shows we were uh, i was playing in three or four bands at that time while holding down two jobs. So I was never around. Yeah. You were trying to, you were trying to uh, deal with your emotions. Yes. By, and I've been there. I've, I've, I've worked two full-time jobs and a part-time job. I, mm-hmm. I get it. You know, I was, I was pretty dark. Um, not the, uh, the person I was when I first met you, I was a lot brighter. My light was a lot brighter, a lot more naive. You know, um, I wouldn't recommend, uh, going through whatever I went through to anybody, but I came out stronger, but a different person on the other side. You know, it's like uh, it kicked my 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 ass into <laughs> gear to, hey, you wasted this time. Even though it wasn't all waste, there was good times in that 20-some-odd years. But there toward the end, it was definitely dark to where it was a uh, – I didn't really want to live, you know. And I hate to say it that way, but it was, it was, it was a bad enough time where that was a consideration of just walking away from everything and just giving up. That's a tough place to be in. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. I've been there and, and you know, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, there's, you know, there's not a way to really explain what that's like, you know, to anybody that hasn't experienced mm-hmm. it, you know, um, it, it's a, it's a, it, obviously it's a dark place. It's a tough place and it's a, it's a, a place that, you know, any one of us can face it really any time in our lives unexpectedly too. Um, you know, I mean, it just takes something to kind of, you know, but, but you were able, you know, we we're, both able to survive 100% of our bad days to yes. this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately that's kind of all that matters, right? Yes. Well, it definitely, definitely the, the, the new person in my life. Well, 
big part of pulling me through it, but it took a lot of willpower just to get up. You know, luckily I was always a strong person. I was always one of those folks that was always the listener, listening to other folks when they were having trouble and giving advice. But when it came to my turn, I didn't have a whole lot of that around. So it was a struggle, you know, to, to get through that barrier. And, well, uh, and I remember too, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, because uh, even though I've probably been as, as mobile as anybody around, I've, you know, run around the, the U.S. quite a bit, I still try to keep up with all my friends as best mm-hmm. I can. And there was that period there where, you know, I would ask Donnie, hey, what's going on with Homer? Where is he? He's like, I don't know, man. I can't, I, you know, I don't see him very often. And, and he's going through some stuff, you know, and and uh, and so forth. And, and that would be the same response that I'd get, you know. So I know we were all definitely concerned for you. And thrilled you know that you came out on the other side you know like you have yeah Donnie Donnie didn't even know what was going on and and for the folks that don't know Donnie and I have known each other since head head start you know (laughs) you know so he knew he knew if there was if uh if I ate something bad or whatever just by the look (laughs) on my face you know he knew something was wrong you know but uh he didn't even know until it was uh the 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 whole the other relationship had already dissolved you know so, so then you got back into copiers here. Yes. Uh, could, how did how did that happen? Was it um, a- like I was saying, uh, uh, her uh, her job fell through, and I uh, I believe I just threw my name out into the pot, and these folks called me up and said, "Hey, we want you." Oh, awesome! You know, so it's a uh, it's still in the local area. The reason the reason why we ended up in Fayetteville is because of the music scene here and the art culture. You know, not just music, but. You can find anything here, you know, from painting to poetry to uh, comedy or whatever. And I'd always wanted to be here. You know, uh, my mom was an artist. I come from an artistic family. So it's something that's always on my mind, uh, creating something, you know. So I'd always wanted to be here uh, instead of our old hometown, Harrison, Arkansas, if I can say that. But anyways... (laughs) You know, there's not much unless you're playing a country gig, you know, and that's about it. Yeah, you know, at, the, at the at the one bar in town. In the one bar <laughs> in town. There's, there's and really... it better not be very loud, you know, <laughs> uh, or you get kicked out and don't get to go back. But I always wanted to come here because everything is so much more uh, open-minded in every aspect of life, not only just artistically, but just culturally. You know, it's open-minded. So I finally got here after 20 some odd years, you know, and, and loving it. And so that's why I've stayed working here for now, um, just because I want to be in this area. Now, not too long ago, you started, um, uh, I guess what we would these days call a side hustle, quote unquote. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you started, um, you started this thing called Firebird Guitar Straps. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, tell me a little bit how that, how, how that uh, germinated in your brain and, and how you came to think about that at all like just tell me how it happened well it's it's kind of weird uh i uh i'd always had it in the back of my mind uh that i could do this you know i could make something out of nothing or something that's fixing to be thrown away and give it new life um the whole let's go back to the to the name my very my first car that i bought as a kid i had worked hauling hay picking up rocks picking up cans uh saved up enough money to buy 1983 Pontiac Trans Am. So that's, and that ever since then, I've been obsessed with Phoenix plus the whole legend of rebirth and renewal. It's uh, a great story, right? Yeah, I, I love mean, it. It's, a, it's just, it's, a, it's an amazing story, you know, that, uh, you know, how the, how the Phoenix dies and then comes back and mm-hmm. so forth. And, and it's so uh, applicable. 
Yeah, and it comes back as something new, or at least uh, something maybe even better, maybe not better, but something new. It's given new life. And I'd had this thought in my head for years, why can't you take something like an old belt or an old boot, something leather, you know, that uh, from an animal that gave its life for this material, and I'd always seen this material either in a Goodwill or somebody throw to the curb or in a dumpster, you know, and it's just, it always made me a little bit sad, you know, I'm not a vegetarian, even though I was once for a period of my time, but, uh, you know, that this leather came from an animal that gave its life for this material for, uh, for us to use for something from, uh, from wearing a belt to a car seat or whatever. It sounds to me like you're talking about respect, right? Yes. It's a respect for the life that, that inhabited what it was at one time. Yeah. And I get kind of that from my grandmother on my dad's side, because she's, almost full-blooded Cherokee. So I kind of get the whole Native American give respect. You kill an animal, thank them for letting you eat them or whatever, or use their material. Give respect, you know, every living thing, even if if it's an animal to a plant, you know. If we're all here for a reason, and if, you know, something happens to or we don't have that, the other element, then we all perish, you know. So I'm just, instead of, instead of just a, I could go and buy new leather and go that route, but then I wouldn't be doing my part to save this leather that's out there already that's either worn out because a police officer can't wear their, their duty belt once it gets worn in. They've got to throw it away and buy a new one. That's how it works. Really? I didn't it's know be that. N- yes, it's got to be nice and shiny. Same with the Federal Guard. Uh, you've got to have shiny. It's so, got- so does that um, – and sorry, I, I interrupt from time to time. But so do, does that mean that, that – um, like have you gone to the police officers and said, hey, I have, I have some friends that are collecting that stuff because they can't use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got to get rid of it now. Uh, before too long, I'm going to have a surplus of that. Uh, oh, that's that's a great yes. idea, man. And so and back to the, to the rewind, I'd been wanting to do this for years. Uh, not only am I a musician, I love to paint, draw when I have time, but I love to create. That's my most favorite part is to create and uh, something out of nothing or something almost disposable, which is sad, and taking it and creating something new and giving it a new path. That being said, I'll, I uh, came up with this idea and I finally went through with it. I pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't have to uh, start this. I fought with it for a long time about... Uh, I wanted to, to do it out of my own head. I didn't look up on YouTube, didn't look up any instructions. I just thought about the most simplistic way, an old school looking way of uh, making these guitar straps, bass straps, or whatever strap they need uh, out of my own design and mistakes, you know. And I made a lot of mistakes. So did you, so, all right, let me back up just for a second. So, um, and in regards to the leather working uh, stuff itself, uh, was that a skill you already had or that was one that you, you were learning? Um, I had already, as a kid, back at our little school, we'd always had these traveling people coming through trying to sell stuff to the school and like uh, the Tandy leather stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had had some experience with that as a kid, tooling the leather and, and everything. Uh, even though at the time my parents couldn't afford to buy the kit, I always got to play with other kids that could they they had that stuff and then later on in life I, from a from a cousin gave me an older uh, vintage set of Tandy leather tools and I can tool the leather and stuff so um, but other than that I had never tried to make a strap or design one 
you know. Um, so you didn't get on, on YouTube to find any like uh, you know any pattern ideas, or you didn't get uh, you know go search to to see how to do the um, the leather working stuff or anything like that. It just no, you just, just did. That's that's interesting. All yeah. right. And luckily, it didn't take too many times messing up. But I messed up. It's it's no lie about that, and I still mess up because right now. I'm always, I'm still trying to even keep it simplistic, trying to keep the mechanical part out of it. I want it to be hand tools. And uh, so sometimes uh, they may not be exactly perfect, but art isn't supposed to be perfect. You know, and that's in, in the back of my mind, this is still art too. I love making the straps. Uh, a whole other element in it is the design and creation of uh, the placement of uh, the different embellishments. Uh, but I think one of my favorite things to do along with it is making the badges uh, for it is drawing up these badges, cutting them out of metal, beating them, you know, and it, that goes back even further to, I, I didn't mention this, uh, I'd always had a fascination with blacksmithing as a mm -hmm. child, you know, from the whole King Arthur making sword type stuff to whatever, you know, to the uh, early 1980s where the kids wanted to make their own throwing stars, you know, whenever that phase was still <laughs> I remember, you know, I remember. Everybody had to have that. But, uh, yeah, um, bef before I came up with the name, I actually was struggling to even come up with the name. It's like, well, we talked about it a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah, I struggled right. with the name. It's like, what am I going to call this company? I hadn't even put together one of my passions of because uh, I recycle quite a bit, I try to reuse and stuff, and I kept trying to think, well, what am I going to call this? Uh, uh, initially, I wanted to once I did figure out the connection uh, with the whole Trans Am thing, uh, the Firebird Phoenix thing, I was going to use Phoenix straps, but then found out there is already a company called Phoenix Straps, which makes straps, but they don't use recycled materials; they used all new material. You know, so I was like, yeah. really, guys, if you're going to call yourself Phoenix, <laughs> even though they're amazing, I'm not dissing them. They're an amazing company. I bow to them because they're prof super professional. I uh, was lucky enough to get Firebird straps. Mm -hmm. So very similar animal, uh, even though they are different slightly. Uh, I do believe the, uh, uh, I may get it backwards here, the Firebird is uh, the physical form of the, the more spiritual Phoenix uh, really, I believe the Firebird is more the physical, uh, and I didn't the, ever know that there was yeah. any difference between. Yeah, the it's either like, one or the other. The uh, ones have more of a uh, supernatural being, even though they're both supernatural, but right. one's more so than the other. And in, in the legend, there's so many legends about the same animal that just have different names. The Native Americans had the the Thunderbird, uh, the Egyptians uh, had uh, the the Phoenix, the uh, the Asians had the a Firebird, the Peacock was their version of it. No, but there's all these different uh, uh, legends from different cultures that resemble the same thing, the, the rebirth of something, and, it's in, and it was in bird form, and it was either with fire or multicolored feathers, and it would shed its feathers to become something new. I think it's a great name. I think it's phenomenal. I love the I love the story behind it. And if you if you listen to people like Seth Godin, who's uh, probably my personal favorite of the marketing gurus, um, you know he he basically says you know everything's a story. Where you know you're not you're not really buying products. You're buying the story behind the product, right? And that's in a lot of ways that's very true. We've been plant based for a number of years, uh, and so I wouldn't, as a general rule, not go buy a leather strap. Right. Um, just because I don't want to perpetuate, I just don't want to perpetuate that. But 
you know, I would happily use one of your straps because uh, for the same idea of the respect and, and so forth, right? Um, and then if anybody asked me why, then I can explain. This has already had one life and it would just, you know, go to waste if it wasn't being used. So, you know, the fact that we can, we can give it new life, uh, you know, uh, some new purpose and be able to tell these stories uh, makes, makes it a, a, just a, a phenomenal product. I mean, really. And you've, uh, how's it going? I mean, it's, it's going well. Uh, uh, something, it's slowed down just a little bit because I have moved to a new uh, location and trying to get the shop back up and running. But I'm still almost too busy. You know, I'm still working a real job, a, well, not a real job, but a corporate job, let's just say that. Yeah, there you go. Um, and this building these isn't a job, but it's a, at the end of the day, you still need time. Mm-hmm. You need time to uh, knock this stuff out. But it's going really well. Lots of customers from anywhere, from the West Coast to the East Coast. And uh, I've had several people hit me up about shipping overseas, but uh, it's uh, the shipping thing is a little bit of a nightmare, but... Yeah, one way you might think about doing that, um, you know, my wife does eBay stuff, Mm -hmm. and they take care of international shipping for you. Um, Like, uh, they deal with all the cost, all that whole nine yards. And so, one way that you could do that is you could actually go ahead and um, and put it on eBay and let your the customer over there buy it, and then that will take care of that international shipping. That's something we could probably talk about later. But just as a as a heads up, and there are probably ways to do it um, if you wanted to. Uh, How did you get customers all the way? across uh, i mean uh, yeah, what's your distribution plan T- it's t- crazy it's mainly mainly word of mouth right now which is crazy my only marketing is uh, a majority of it is uh because i i don't have my web page up and running yet but i do have i do use instagram and facebook mm-hmm. all the time i uh, i try to keep my my media going uh it's slowed down a little bit like i said since we moved into the new place uh but I was I was always trying to make sure there was something keeping the ball rolling every day, posting something, you mm-hmm. know, trying to keep the momentum. But I uh, it's a, initially what how I got into this game. Once I s- decided to do it, I use a there's a guitar company I use uh, pretty much exclusively, even though I have uh, a bunch of old vintage gear from other brands, uh, the from like the big three, the the, the ones that everybody knows, but. Mm-hmm. I've been using a a product which I stand behind because you can say it, man. There's it's no a, well, it's like it's a Reverend Reverend Guitars. I've been using them because I like their way of thinking. They make something that is new but yet old mm-hmm. at the same time. They use a design and make it better. And uh, so I've been dealing with those. So I got a hold of a I got a hold of a used guitar, a used Reverend, a, a 2012 Reverend Charger which looks a whole lot like a, t- a Fender Telecaster. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was in pretty rough shape, you know, and uh, I got a hold of what I love about this uh, Reverend Guitar Company is that their customer service is, I've never seen any other company that the boss, the president, will either text you or talk to you on the phone or email you all the time. And uh, so he and I had a relationship going before I even started the strap thing. And I finally committed and made my first one. And then I shot him a picture of it. And I said, hey, man, what do you think about this? This is this is what I'm getting into these days, you know, and I'm hopefully this is what I'm going to do for a, for a living later on, you know. And he goes, he really liked the idea, the whole story behind it, the recycled thing. And it may have been a police officer's belt that I used to, uh, as the base. And then I think about three other uh, pieces of leather involved in it and stuff. And uh, 
And at that time, I was making taking making my badges out of the craziest materials, like from the bottom of aluminum cans, beat together and <laughs> stapled together, all kinds of stuff. Because I was going all super all out on the recycled part. But uh, he loved it so much. We were talking about this his one of his guitars I'd got that somebody had mangled. He says, "I tell you what, if you send me that guitar, I'll put it back to factory specs. If you send me that strap." So Ken Haas, Ken Haas has uh, the uh, the first probably the first one of the first because there's another one there's, there was two prototypes but he was the first one to grab mm-hmm. that one and so that's how it started and then i guess from his word of mouth to his friends it's kind of filtered that's where i got that northern mm-hmm. com- uh business uh, from yeah, yeah. it kind of trickled down and trickled down to people like dylan dunbar which is a reverend user so there's a lot of reverend users because i'll post every time i uh every t- most of the time when i post a new strap i use a reverend guitar of some sort as the model uh, on there and i push i push that company i really i push reverend guitars because of the quality uh the price uh just about anybody can pick one up if you can't pick one up new you can definitely find them used affordable and they're quality instruments you know they 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 break the outside of the cookie cutter guitar game you know they have the just amazing stuff they sound great and uh, eventually, that's probably all my guitars will be Reverend guitars. Eventually, that is yeah. saying something. Yeah, you know. So uh, for most of the people on the podcast, I, I you know, listening, uh, I mean, we didn't really talk about it, but Homer is a phenomenal uh, lead guitarist. Um, uh, you know, not only have I seen him play and played with him over the years, you know, he he has a fan base for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people go crazy for his playing. He's he's quite the the the, the homespun musician. There's no doubt about that. You, did you take lessons growing up? Um, for just a little bit, and it kind of falls back into that uh, that that wrestling thing. Is uh, I was kind of a knothead. You know, I had the the will, to, the fire to do it, but some of the devotion I didn't have. I had taken lessons from a a phenomenal musician. He's still so he's a he is a monster music. A guy named George Mason. Oh yeah, unbelievable, phenomenal guitar player. And that's not even his passion. He's a yeah. He's a, a fiddle player. Yeah, he's he? a fiddle yeah. player. Just I hate to say this over the podcast, but I don't think anybody can touch him. Yeah, you know, in the world, you know, he is just, and not only that, he's an amazing human. He taken this snotty nosed brat kid and was always trying to give me advice about how to be a better human mm-hmm. in our in our lessons, you know, and he still does. Phenomenal musician. He's multiple degree black belts in all these different styles of martial arts. You know, just a good person and all. But I'd taken lessons for a while, and like I was saying, being in Newton County. uh, it was a chore to get to Harrison from where we lived, you know, to get to my lessons. So it was a little bit of a little bit of a pain for my parents, even though my mother was really passionate to get me there because she came from an extremely musical family. So she knew I had to fire her and she was just trying to push me in the right direction. So I, I did. I got the basics. You know, I wish I would have paid more attention. You know, <laughs> I really do because it's taken me over half my life to get to where I am now, where I could have got there a lot quicker if I would have focused on the road, mm-hmm. you know, staying in that path instead of uh, getting onto the wrong paths. But, and then uh, after I was done with George, I had a couple other lessons with, uh, with Philip uh, Smith uh-huh. from Guitar Smith and some from uh, Jim, his brother. Yeah, those are good guys. I, yes. I, I, I love the hell out of both those guys. Uh, you know, uh, the only guitar lessons I had taken for years were from Jim. Um, and it wasn't until 
oh, a couple of years ago in Birmingham that I took some more, you know. But uh, yeah, Jim and Philip are both phenomenal musicians. Yes, yes, uh, both of them are uh, very good. Philip is now the uh, the guitar player for the Love and the Spoonful. Right, the right. only one mm-hmm. in there. He is the guitar player. Jim has got an amazing project happening right now with a band called White Fox Kill. Yes. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. I have the album in the car. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it kind of reminds me if you take Jeff Buckley mixed with Bob Dylan stuff, you know, that's kind of what the White Fox Kill reminds me of. So it's really good. They got a big future ahead of them. So, but other than that, I spent the rest of my life just, uh, trying to wing it and figure it out, yeah. you know? And, uh, it, there was a lot of friends of mine said, Man, boy, you sucked and at first, and I and I do, and I still do in a lot of ways. But <laughs> you know, it took a long time to get it right. I had I had all the passion, but none of the talent like my cousins have. You know, uh, that had it naturally. I had the want, but none of my hands and my brain didn't work together real at at first. So, are you doing any? Uh... I mean, I know you're always writing something and so forth. Are you planning on, on recording some stuff sometime? Yeah, in there? Um, I, I thought I saw something about yeah, that. Yeah, I, uh, I've uh, I've been working with a uh, producer, a songwriter, musician himself, awesome musician, a guy named Scott Hoffman. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. he's the one that uh, he produced the uh, White Fox Kill, right? Yes, right. Mm-hmm. and several other folks. He's gosh, he's been everywhere. Uh, just what little time we've known each other of each other for several years, but just kind of been out of phase with each other. Mm-hmm. Never been at the same place at the same time, but I've tried to make something happen and we're going to make something happen. We've already started. Uh, I've, we've been flirting with each other about doing a project and getting some of our songs, my songs down and finally put to rest, you know, mm-hmm. instead of just floating around uh, right. stuff. So a few weeks ago, I went over to his, uh, his studio and we've started laying down some tracks and, uh, Right now, he's working with White Fox Kill on their second album, but as soon as he's done with that, we're going to work together a lot more, uh, hopefully, and uh, get uh, some of our tunes down together as a collaboration, you know, and finally get some of these old songs pressed down and then uh, so I can move on to sure. other things. Sure. No, you know. I completely understand. That's uh, He's over in Mountain Home, isn't he? Is he's that... actually in Harrison now. Oh, is he? He is in Harrison. I did uh, not know that. Yeah, his wife has family there, and so they've kind of landed there, and I keep trying to sweet talk him over this way into Fayetteville. He's also, we've been flirting with each other too about maybe renting a space over here and opening up a, a, an analog, analog studio, tape studio. Interesting. So, well, I know there's a lot of stuff happening in Fayetteville mm-hmm. uh, in, in Northwest Arkansas in regards to multimedia, uh, audio recording. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's some big names coming in. There's, uh, some, bi- there's some amazing uh, studios over here. Right. Uh, you know, you see some of the folks that are coming here and you freak out. It's like, are you kidding? Those guys were on uh, the Music Awards last night. You right. Know? Exactly. And, uh, I'm not going to mention names because don't want these places to get flooded, but... Fate Builders and Bentonville and Rogers is such an explosion of art, and especially with the music scene. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a. I remember talking to uh, Eric Johnson a few years back. I got to go go to one of his live shows. He likes to come to Fayetteville and play these little tiny clubs, like mm-hmm. maybe hold fifty people to a hundred people. In. Yeah. And I, I after the show, he's such a sweet man and awesome human. Is I would say I hit him up. I said, "Why do you come here?" He goes, "Well, it reminds me of Austin before." Austin got so commercialized. Right. So, and I love this area because of that, because it's so open-minded and so, so much going on still. And it's still, but it's still uh, country, 
you know, it's still uh, not like country music, but like uh, Ozark, you yeah. know, it's still. Well, I mean, and we're in the middle of the country. I mean, nobody can, can see this. And I can see right now that I made a huge mistake in not, <laughs> in not doing video uh, for this uh, particular podcast. Next time we do a podcast, uh, we're going to do video so we can show off your place. It's phenomenal out here. You got, when was this house built? You 1906. 1906. And, uh, you know, it's one of those classic sort of homes, you know, that, people built a hundred plus years ago and then has survived. So, uh, next time we're going to do video too, so that we can, can we show some of that off as well? Uh, well, is there anything you'd like to leave everybody with? Oh goodness. Uh, you probably find, you can find pictures. I, uh, I take, uh, my, my, uh, my dad has been a lot of different things, woodworker, all kinds. He creative in his own right photographer. So I've got that from him as I take photos of, uh, of these straps and it's kind of been a selling point for me, but you can find me on Instagram at firebird underscore straps at yahoo.com and, uh, and on Facebook firebird straps, um, you know, come check me out on there. And, uh, if you, if you want something, I have plenty of material. I, what I do is I take photographs of the material I have. And if you're interested, then we can go from there. You do, know. You, do you, so do you custom make each one for, um, your, for, um, your customer or yes. Or do you do some wholesale where you make some straps? And... I, I do that too. Um, I have a few places floating around Northwest Arkansas, uh, the meteor gallery up in uh, Bentonville, uh, sells them. And then we have, uh, Ozark cerebral creations here in Fayetteville sells them. And then I have a couple other places. I'm on. those are kind of, uh, I use my, even though I'm kind of a bigger guy, I usually might use myself, my, my personal links, just throwing them out there just as an, as a, uh, an average, uh, everyday guitar strap. Um, nothing real fancy frilly. So now when you do custom, uh, straps for people that aren't here local, mm -hmm. How do you how do you handle that? Like, do you have to get measurements for them yes, from them? I so do. What, I, uh, what kind of measurements do you get? Because I'm curious about that. I like, always tell the the folks I ask them, and it's really important. Is I tell them measure measure the hole of uh, the strap strap buttonhole from uh, the center to the other. You know, not tip to tip mm -hmm. of your favorite strap that you're using right now. And then I'll make it because uh, I use a buckle system. I'll try to make it to where it will adjust a couple inches in either direction. That way, if you want to, if, uh, if you get bigger or skinnier or whatever, you know, uh, you can adjust it that way, you know, and that's how I do it. And usually, like I was saying, the ones that I have in the little stores, the little mom and pop shops, uh, they're, they're not so embellished. And mm -hmm. then I'll, I'll usually let the folks that contact me and they want something similar, um, that, that want to do things to it. I, t uh, I do some of that stuff, you know, and then it's, a, and then it's the same setup. I let them pick the material. I always have, fo I, I make them choose a photo or if they just tell me, Hey, I want a dark Brown beat up looking piece of leather, you know, I make something out of that and I get the materials. And then I let the, a lot of times I'm lucky where the customer will go, we'll just do something and then I can create, mm -hmm. then I let the material and whatever I put on it, tell me what it wants to be. Do you get some people that ask you to do that? Just, Hey, yes, that's yes. great. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's my favorite ones. Sometimes I hit a home run. Sometimes I have to start over again, but that's fine. I've got a lot of material, but, uh, I just go from there and I'm always on the lookout. I either track down folks or areas or goodwills or thrift stores, pawn shops, whatever, and trying to find old belts or boots or some kind of leather material. I, at first I was using a little bit of everything, a composite, you know, where it was some leather, some synthetic, but I'm these days I try to focus more on pure leather, you know, 
And even though, and you got to be careful, and this is, this is what's going to be weird, is even though it says genuine leather on it, you go to cut into these things or or punch a hole, and it's almost like sawdust, like particle board leather. Really? Yeah, it's like a, the inside of it is leather, but it's particles glued together. I don't sell a strap that I wouldn't feel comfortable holding one of my guitars, you know, and everything. That's so. important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very important. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, man. I know that, uh, that, you know, there's, you've got a lot of stuff going on and, and, you know, time's the most precious thing in the world. So the fact that you're willing to spend, uh, you know, uh, some time with us today, yeah, which I appreciate it greatly. So, yeah, and if people want to contact me, you know, I, I love, uh, talking to folks. So if they want to send me a message or whatever, that's, you know, if they just want to find out a little bit more about this and why I do it, they're more than free to get in touch. Well, they're beautiful straps, pieces of art as well as, as straps. And they've got a great story and a great purpose, a great repurpose, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's just amazing. I'm so glad you're doing it. That's, that's something I didn't touch on either. I, uh, real quick is, yeah, yeah. Uh, is that, uh, there's been, uh, I've several times, and and being one of these kids, I know the struggle, you know, that my parents didn't have a lot of money growing up and that they couldn't afford to buy a strap, a leather strap. Leather straps are expensive. It's, even if you buy one of the cookie-cutter ones, they can be anywhere from 30 to $100, mm-hmm. you know. Um, if I, you know, I usually find, if I see a kid at the lo- local guitar center or something that has a guitar or something, and if I have any with me, because sometimes I carry some with me, and I'll just hand one over. Yeah. just to pass it on type thing you that's know? So, great that's and, great. I'll, and also too sometimes if someone has a bunch of good material and wants one of mine if they'll trade me their old leather i will make them a strap and i'll keep that leather and i'll pass it on that way too so so yeah all right homer i appreciate it thank you so much for the time thank and you. uh we'll we'll talk again soon yes sir thank you Well, that was fun. Thank you, Homer, for spending some time with us today. I hope you all enjoyed listening to Homer talk about his journey and and how uh, life has brought him to where he is right now. Uh, Next time we do this, we're going to do some, I think we'll try to shoot some video because he's got a great place out there in northwest Arkansas. Um, Like he was saying, it was built around the early 1900s. and So it's an old home, but it's got so much character. I really dug the vibe being out there. I really enjoyed hanging out uh, in a place that seemed to have so much history to it. Um, so, uh, we'll do video next time for sure, but just a couple takeaways real quick. Firebirds straps, and you can follow them on Instagram. If you go to firebird underscore straps, uh, that's the page that you're looking for. Um, it's so refreshing to see someone taking things that we would typically throw away and repurposing them for more of a life. And and it's a hot topic today, right? Everybody talks about sustainability and they talk about, you know, being environmentally conscious and, and, and those are certainly things that, that, uh, that we hold to be near and dear to our heart. But even more than that, there's something very um, ethereal. There's something very spiritual about, uh, rising up from the ashes uh, of, of despair, the, the ashes of, of defeat, the ashes uh, of whatever the situation is and coming into a new life. And that is something to be celebrated. And it's one of the reasons why I really, really love this concept uh, that Homer has put together because it gives new life to things that may 
not have much more to, to do. Right. And so I'm really, I'm really enthusiastic about it because not only are they quality straps, not only is it a quality product, not only is it a great story, but it's also giving something a little bit more time to exist, provide value, to provide purpose. And that is something, uh, that's just something so comforting in today's day and age of disposability. Everything's disposable, throw it out and get a new one, you know, and this this is not that way. This is let's, let's use this. Let's use this, um, intrinsic value that's in this object or this person. And let's, let's make it into something new. Let's recreate it into something very valuable and useful. And that is a need in today, in in today's world. It's a need in my opinion, to make sure that, that we can uh, value the things, even the things that we think well, this is the end of the road for them. Maybe it's not. Maybe there is more life to be had, not only for guitar straps, not only for belts, not only uh, for leather and animals, and but for people too, for you and for me. There is that hope, that hope out there that we can do something more than ourselves, be more than what we currently are. And this is just one of the ways that you can see that in process in life. So, what we'd like to do, uh, Plain Ordinary Dragon would like to give you one of these really cool uh, guitar straps. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a giveaway, and this is the way it will work. Go out to Instagram, find Firebird underscore straps. That's F-I-R-E-B-I-R-D underscore S-T-R-A-P-S. And go ahead and follow them. And then once you followed Firebird straps... Uh, go to the, uh, the, the Apple Podcasts and write a review of the Plain Ordinary Dragon podcast. When you do, make sure that you snap a, a picture of it or, or take a screenshot and send it to me at plainodragon at gmail.com. That's plainodragon at gmail.com. And send that to me. Send me the screenshot. And so what we're going to do is for everybody that goes ahead and writes a review and likes the Firebird Straps uh, page follows it uh, on Instagram. We'll go ahead and do a random drawing and we're going to give away uh, one of these uh, amazing guitar straps. And uh, if you don't play guitar, you might know somebody that does and somebody that wants one. And, and listen to me, I've been playing guitar myself for over 20 years and guitar straps are expensive. Um, you know, to get a really good leather one, um, you know, you're, you're looking at $50 plus. So here's, here's something that you can do. Uh, it's, it'll be custom made. Homer will actually work with you to find your dimensions as you heard in the podcast. And, uh, so, you know, you, you can't get a custom made guitar strap for under a hundred dollars. I promise you. Um, and, and this is good quality by a good artist, you know, someone who plays music, someone who understands the need uh, for something that will really hold your guitar in place. So we're going to go ahead and do that. Once again, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, I hope you have a great day and a wonderful week, it's and we'll see you then. easy to share somebody's dream. It gets easy when you work as a team.